Hello, and welcome again to the Radio Gaga podcast. I'm your host, Justine Pajowski. First off, thank you to everyone who reached out about the Jason Isbell podcast. Kevin was such a great guest, and that album just resonates with so many people for many different reasons. Some of you shared your own experiences with me after listening to the episode, and I swear it's the best feeling ever to connect over stuff like that. I'm glad you all love the episode as much as I did. Today's episode, though, you might hate me a little by the end of it, but I'm willing to take the hit for the sake of research. We're talking about how and why songs get stuck in our head. It's happened to us all, and it actually happens more often to people who have an interest in music. Research shows that for 90% of us music heads, we get songs stuck in our head at least once a week. And if the earworm is a song we don't even like, there are few things that are more distracting than that. So what I wanted to find out was threefold. First, is there a pattern or certain types of songs that are more likely to be earworms? The second thing I wanted to know was what actually happens inside our brain when a song is lodged in there for days on end? And lastly, what are some ways we can get songs out of our heads, especially the ones we didn't want there in the first place? I'll answer all these burning questions in today's episode. It's a pretty fascinating topic. I'm putting the disclaimer out there now, hashtag trigger warning, at least one of the songs in this episode will probably get stuck in your head. The irony of that is not lost on me. Also, I'm not a scientist, so all the research you'll hear in this episode was expertly done by other, much more qualified people and organizations. My sources for today include the Quarterly Journal of Experimental Psychology, a Bucknell University study by Andrea Halpern titled The Persistence of Musical Memories, a Descriptive Study of Earworms, the American Psychological Association Journal of the Psychology of Aesthetics, Creativity, and the Arts, John Donvan's 2012 NPR interview with psychologist Vicki Williamson, a paper by Stephen Brown of Simon Fraser University in the Journal of Consciousness Studies, and a 2011 paper by researchers at the University of London in the academic journal The Psychology of Music. If there are any sources that I didn't list here, you'll hear me mention them throughout the episode. I try to be really careful about citing all my sources, as you well know, and this episode had a lot of them. When I was in college, there was a group on campus that did this fundraiser outside on the quad once a year. These days, I honestly forget the name of the group or what they were raising money for. I'm sure it was for a worthy cause, but their fundraising tactic was half brilliant and half made me want to choke someone. Until this group reached their fundraising goal, they would play Hanson's hit song Mbop on repeat, day and night, on a massive PA system in the center of the quad. I mean on repeat. And I went to a smaller school, so most everybody at my college walked through that one quad for most of their classes. Signage all throughout the quad promised that the music would turn off, but only when they reached their fundraising goal and not a minute before. I'm all for unique fundraising styles. I used to work in nonprofits, and sometimes you gotta be kinda scrappy. I get that. But oh my god, was this annoying. And Mbop would be stuck in my head for days after they finally turned off the music. I feel like a little piece of it still remains, even. 
But while pretty much any song repeated that many times would be annoying, a song like Mbop feels like it just latches onto your brain and doesn't let go. And there are a few factors that contribute to that. Let's talk about the certain kinds of songs that are more likely to be earworms. Let's go ahead and start with the queen of the catchy song, Taylor Swift. Her songs seem to be designed to stay in our heads for days on end. And to some extent, I'm not exaggerating. Research has shown that there are ways to predict which songs are going to get stuck in people's heads, which is a great tool for artists, producers, and advertisers. Wormy songs have a distinct shape, a little bit of a drive, and other characteristics that make them more likely to set up shop in your head for a period of time. Let's talk about some of those specific factors. This isn't an exact checklist of any kind, but next time you have a song in your head, notice if it has one or more of these components. The first predictor is if the song has a familiar melody or sound structure. When we were babies, we listened to nursery rhymes like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, The Itsy Bitsy Spider, Row 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 Your Boat, and learned the song to sing for our ABCs. Many nursery rhymes, including all of those examples, follow a sound structure that begins at a lower pitch, then swings upward, then lastly falls back to the lower note again. This is also a common structure in pop music. According to psychologist Kelly Jakubowski, our brains seek out an optimal level of complexity when we listen to music. Our brains want a melody that is interesting, but also not too difficult to remember. This is just one example, but it's a pretty popular one. After reading Jakubowski's research, I listened a little more closely to some of the songs on the radio and heard a lot of this similar ascending and descending melody. She say, do you love me? I tell her only partly. I only love my bed and my mom. I'm sorry. 50 dub. I even got it tatted on me. Something else you might notice about the songs that get stuck in your head is that they are typically less complex and therefore are easier to hum or sing along to. More complex music like psychedelic rock, orchestra music, opera, music that's not in your native language, and many others, are less likely to stick around because it's not at that optimal level of complexity that our brain is looking for. But don't feel awkward if these are the kinds of earworms that you get. Research has shown that virtually any song can become an earworm, and it's a very individual experience. Personally, I find that songs in my vocal register, the ones I'm bopping along to in the car, are the ones that get stuck in my head more often. One of the biggest culprits is Katy Perry, 
Her music is super catchy, and part of the reason is that her vocal range is just right in the pocket for a lot of people to sing along. We can dance until we die. Tempo also has a lot to do with a song being an earworm. First off, the faster the song, typically the more likely it is to pop into your head. And people tend to move along to earworms, so whatever's in your head is likely to match the tempo of what you're doing. This happens to me all the time. I'm obsessed with moving in time to music. Many of the workouts I do are beat-based, like spin and bar class, and I love it. Even just walking, I always have a song in my head that I'm walking in time to. And if anyone else listening to this was in marching band, you know why my left foot is always going first. TikTok by Kesha is 120 beats per minute, a pretty moderate walking pace. I'll probably end up doing a whole episode on BPM at some point. It's interesting how that factors into the catchiness of a song. If you need some inspiration, there are a million playlists online at different BPM ranges that are perfect for different types of activity. Sometimes it's not just a melody or the way the song is structured that triggers your brain. A big factor of a song getting stuck in your head might also have to do with the lyrics or the emotion of a song, something you just connect with in a primordial way. This Eddie Vedder song pops into my head a lot, and I think it's partly because I really like the melody of it, but also he sings with a lot of emotion and expression, which makes it that much more impactful. I've also had this really specific part of Jason Isbell's song Stockholm stuck in my head for like a month, partially because I'm so in awe over this lyric. There's also the other side of lyrics, wordless vocals. The oohs and ahs and doo-doo-doos and me-hee-hees. The technical term is a non-lexical vocable, and they work so well because they're a universal language. You might not hear or understand the other lyrics in a song right off the bat, but even the most passive listener could get stuck with one of these little ditties in their head without realizing it. And they are everywhere. Watch 
Lastly, many of the songs that get stuck in our heads are excessively repetitive. Most every top radio hit for decades and decades has been written in a similar structure based on repetition. And we're exposed to popular songs a lot more often, which also has an effect on how likely they are to get stuck in your head. If you're a parent, you know the repetition game well. Children's songs are written to be extra earworm worthy as repetition aids in memory, reading skills, and other brain functions. But even as adults, there's a basic human need that's being met when we listen to a repetitive song. We'll get into this more in the next section when we talk about what's actually happening in our brains. But basically, repetition signals to our brain that we should feel comfortable and safe. Like this Chainsmokers song that repeats the exact same three notes for basically the entire song. Or this one by Pharrell Williams that's been following me around since 2013 and just never seems to end. Love you, John Mayer, but oh my god, why don't you just say what you need to say instead of repeating the same line almost 40 times by the end of the song? I counted. Say what you need to say. 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 Or this Paul Simon song that somehow made its way into the deep crevices of my brain a few weeks ago and did not let go. It actually started to hurt. Mama don't take my 
we can't forget the ultimate repetitive song, Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba. Why this song needed to be over four and a half minutes long truly stumps me. Let's get into the science behind what's happening in our brains when a song gets stuck. The term for it is involuntary musical imagery. And similar to how our minds wander, songs are more likely to pop into our heads when we're doing an activity with a low cognitive load, or even when we're stressed. Involuntary musical imagery also occurs with cues and triggers. I might see a photo of my wedding and immediately a song will pop into my head that I remember being played that night. Someone could say a word or phrase that is also in a song, like looking up in the sky at the clouds parting and saying, here comes the sun, and it'll trigger a 24-hour loop of the Beatles in my head. Or this has also happened to me before. You're driving down a street and the name of the road is a primary lyric in a song. One that happens to me all the time is driving on Main Street in my hometown. Bob Seger always pops into my head, but just the chorus because I don't really know the lyrics to the verses. Down on Main Street. Down on Main Street. But there's another reason our brains like to trigger involuntary musical imagery, and that's back to our conversation about repetition. As humans, we seek comfort in the familiar. Sigmund Freud called this repetition compulsion. If you're like me, this comes in the form of watching The Office or Friends yet again, even though there are infinite possibilities of other things to watch. But watching Kevin Malone spill his homemade chili all over the office floor for the hundredth time is more comfortable, because on a very basic level, repetition signals to our brains that there is no danger, no need to be alert, and no need to act. And like we talked about earlier in the episode, we are faced with repetition all the time in music. Most songs on the radio right now are repetitive and therefore predictable, signaling to us that the environment is not going to change too dramatically for the next three or so minutes. We'll hear some slight variations in the music. Perhaps the chorus gets bigger at the end, or there are two different vocalists. But the song is still predictable enough to indicate that everything is under control. This is what happens when we listen to songs we love over and over again. We all have those songs we have completely memorized by now, and our brains find that comfortable. Auto-generated Spotify playlists feed into this just like Netflix binging does. Everything's an algorithm that's built around making us feel as comfortable as possible so we don't leave. And lastly, our brains are really vulnerable to things that can never be fully satisfied. For instance, a song that ends after three minutes. Neuroscientist Oliver Sacks concludes that, musically speaking, the brain might continually loop song snippets as a way of trying to scratch that itch. So the question of the day is, how do we put a stop to this oral torture and get a song out of our head? Some people suggest listening to the song all the way through, or even playing it backwards. Some suggest listening to a slow song, with one researcher specifying that the British national anthem sung super slow is good for getting rid of earworms. If you're a musician, you could try playing the song that's playing in your head. But if it's really burrowed deep in there for days on end, try chewing gum. In 2015, researchers at the University of Reading published their findings from a study of around 100 volunteers. 
The researchers had played two songs for them, Play Hard by David Guetta and Payphone by Maroon 5. They asked the subjects to try not to think of the songs that they had heard over the next three minutes, but to hit a key each time the song popped into their head. And what they found was in the portion of the room they had given chewing gum to, volunteers reported thinking of or hearing the song less often than the volunteers who weren't chewing gum. One of the leads on the study, Dr. Phil Beeman, says that chewing gum could reduce other intrusive thoughts as well. Dr. Beeman said in a statement, quote, Brain regions involved in hearing, remembering, and imagining tunes include not only the auditory cortex, but also regions more usually associated with speech production. By forcing these regions to be active in chewing the gum, they were less available to support the involuntary generation or recollection of an earworm. song stuck in your head isn't always a terrible thing. If I actually like the song in my head, I usually try to hang on to it. This Tame Impala song has been in my head all week, still is despite all the other songs I just put in this episode, and honestly I'm so fine with it. Sometimes it's the exact thing I need to move me through my day. quote from Edgar Allan Poe's 1850 short story, The Imp of the Perverse, which contains one of our earliest cultural references to earworms. This clip is narrated by the one and only Vincent Price. It is quite a common thing to be thus annoyed with the ringing in our ears, or rather in our memories, of the burthen of some ordinary song or some unimpressive snatches from an opera, nor will we be the less tormented if the song in itself be good or the opera air meritorious. In this manner, at last, I would perpetually catch myself pondering upon my security and repeating in a low undertone the phrase, I am safe. so much for joining me again today. If you like listening to the Radio Gaga podcast, please share it with a fellow music fan in your life. Also, if you have an album or topic in mind that you'd like to see in a future episode, I'd love to know. Follow me over at Radio Gaga podcast on Instagram and send me a DM with your favorites. Next week is a very special episode all about Ween and their 1997 album, The Mollusk. Ween is an incredibly unique band 
probably the most unique I've ever heard. I had never listened to them before this year, but now that I have, my whole music listening universe has been warped in the most beautiful way. Ween, known for its dedicated cult following of fans, is one of those bands where it's almost impossible to know where to start. But thankfully, we'll have a Sherpa guiding us on our journey into this confusing but ultimately rewarding universe. My friend Paul Gutkowski is host of the God Ween Evan podcast and is a teacher, social worker, and actor in New York. I learned a ton from him about Ween and I can't wait to share our conversation with you. So give Ween's The Mollusk a listen this week and I'll see you back here next Tuesday. Mm-hmm.